came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show. We have Rebecca Seawright, the assemblywoman. 5G antennas are going up and down Madison Avenue. Is it going to kill one of us? Governor David Patterson, Borough President Vito Fasella, Al D'Amato, he's got a few things to say. Bruce Blakeman, who's going to win that race in Nassau County? Is it Swazi or Mazi? Steve Cates, how are the skies doing and what's going on in, in mysteries? Let's start off with Mike Stoller, talk about the real estate industry. Good morning, this is Mike Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. What's really happening in the real estate market? The press always has different stories, people have different ideas, but today I have an individual who's been involved with the real estate market for the past 25 years or close to that. I have Adam Altman who is a managing member at the Cabor Group. Thank you for being here. Michael, thank you so much for having me. It is great to uh, be here with you and, and, and uh, be in your presence, one of, the, uh, one of the great interviewers of our business. Thank you for the compliment. So tell me what the Caber Group is and what, what they're doing today. I know you've been in business since 2008 or so. Yep, that's correct. We've been in business since uh, around 2008. And uh, I would say what we're doing today is not that different in some ways than what we've been doing since 2008, but in some ways it's entirely different. So what does that mean? Real estate is a living, breathing thing, and you have to move with the markets, and the markets are constantly changing. And that means certain asset classes become, are more in favor or more uh, uh, economical, and some are, and that, or, or less so. And right now, uh, the ability to get certain assets financed and the interest rate environment has made it such that, um, you know, we have been very focused as of late, on uh, pursuing uh, retail opportunities, multifamily opportunities, and other real estate assets where there is a miss uh, a balance sheet that's not properly in order, and um, and there's some dislocation around that. Okay, so the other day when we were talking, you were saying that you're buying mistakes that took place from 2018 to 2022. Explain to me what type of, what are you doing with buying? Okay, so first I'll say we're trying to buy. It feels like we're the the beginning of the beginning, not the beginning of the end, if that, if that sounds right. And, and what that means is a lot of people, even in the multifamily space, and certainly in the office space, which has been well reported on, um, bought assets between 2018 and, 2022 and they did not fix their debt and they had a certain assumption about what it would cost to let's take a multifamily and apartment building for instance what it would what the income would be and what it would cost to renovate that property and the amount of income that property would then generate and they went into that with um, the underwriting that 
they would be able to get financing at a level consistent with where it had been. And what we all know has happened is that the Fed had to aggressively fight inflation and in doing so had to raise rates very quickly, historically fast. And that m made it so that if you these people who own this multifamily property, and you could apply the same analogy to uh, example to any other group, went to get financing, they were going to get much less money than they had uh, expected or underwrote. And therefore, they had to write a check in order to uh, maintain the leverage level so on the property. So the, the question is, where do they write the check from? Okay, some of these people were undercapitalized. So what happens in that case? Great, great question, great observation. So the ones who are undercapitalized and don't have access to a strong balance sheet are in trouble. And those are the folks that have to sell. The ones who have uh, strong hands, is the expression in the business, and who have deep pockets, will will ride out this 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 storm. And so our our goal is to find those folks who need to create liquidity for a whole host of various reasons and bring our capital to the table in order to try to consummate a transaction. Okay, with regard to that, you have to raise capital. You're a private equity firm, so you're going to investors to look to raise capital. How, how difficult is it to raise capital in this environment, especially with projected expected returns? It's, it's less about the expected returns. I, I, it is, it is it's difficult to raise capital. I think it's always difficult to raise capital. Anyone who says, it, you know, unless you're the Blackstones of the world where, you know, they hang out a flag and there's an expression, you know, no one gets fired for investing in a, in a Blackstone fund. It, it's always difficult to raise capital. And, and it should be because people work really, really hard to make their money and they should in, and they invest it judiciously and they want to understand who and what they're in, investing it for and with. And so people have a right to make giving up their capital difficult. So I have tremendous respect for people's capital. And the the reason it's the other reason I think it's difficult right now is because when the risk-free rate of return when treasuries, when people can go to their bank and effectively get five plus percent, five and a half percent for doing nothing and taking effectively no risk, the amount of return you have to offer them and the amount of risk you're putting on the table needs to um, offset that. Now, you were very active in Jersey City. What's your thoughts today on Jersey City? Um, Jersey City is a great city, great location, wonderful uh, environment to live, to have access to Manhattan. It's very still very dependent on Manhattan. The office environment there is, I think, facing much stiffer headwinds, but the residential uh, environment there is very strong. The apartment market there is very strong. You know, the biggest thing that Jersey City will have to contend with is, you know, do they want to make, uh, do they want to continue to allow the wonderful developments that have made it such a wonderful place continue to take place? Or do they going to, like a lot of municipalities, are they going to, you know, um, hopefully not become a victim of their own success? Okay, I'd like to thank uh, Adam Altman on his outlook and his thoughts on the market, and I'll see you next week. Terrific. Thanks so much, Michael. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is Rebecca Seawright. She represents the Upper East Side, Yorkville, Roosevelt Island, and New York 76th Assembly District. Rebecca, 
Give us an update of what's going on in our city. One of the problems me and you brought out six months ago, a year ago, uh, was these new antennas that they were going to put up up and down uh, your district on on Madison Avenue. Give us an update. Where do you think we are? Well, thank you, John. It's great to be on your show again. And this week we had Mayor Adams testifying for the city budget in Albany at the state capitol. And one of the questions I asked the mayor was on these outrageous 5G towers that I wrote the mayor uh, asking for a moratorium on their installation. And the mayor has made a commitment uh, at that hearing that he would consider any new evidence that I've given him. So I've introduced legislation in Albany uh, to create a commission to study the health and environmental effects of the 5G towers. Uh, I've also written... uh, 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 Mr. Wright, are they installed? Are any of them installed? Yes. uh, There's 107 that have been installed. And, you know, John, the last time we spoke, we talked about following the money trail. And the big, giant corporations that are profiting off of this are Google's subsidiary Intersection, which is the advertising company that's curating and targeting the advertisements on the 5G kiosk, and Qualcomm, which is a $150 billion company, one of the largest chip manufacturers in the world, a major player in the 5G infrastructure here in New York City. Wow. Uh, and Verizon gave strong testimony in support of the 5G at the city council hearing because they want to build out a mobile 5G network that they can sell to cell phone customers and market as Verizon's new network. So Google, Verizon, and Qualcomm are all profiting from the 5G wireless infrastructure and kiosks that the taxpayers are funding. I live on Fifth Avenue. And according to the report that was made in New Hampshire by bipartisan Democrats and Republicans, you have to be almost five city blocks away. They're putting it, I'm exaggerating, five inches away from us up and down Madison Avenue. In New York City, you're supposed to be 10 feet. And in New Hampshire, it's 500 meters or about 1,640 feet away. So... That's why I'm calling on a commission with my legislation to study the effects. We've looked at the New Hampshire report, and 5G is is just too new for us to know all the health effects. That's why I've written Congressman Nadler and calling on the U.S. Congress to put a halt on this until we see the effects of the environment and, and the health effects that it's causing. And we should, we should look to New, New Hampshire, of all places, as a leader in, in their report and their top scientists that have come out with the distance. And we, we should uh, definitely be calling on a moratorium. For our listeners out there, if they want to join an advocacy group, go to www.newyorkers4wiredtech.com. And so I encourage our listeners today to go to www.newyorkers4, the number four, not spelled out, wiredtech.com, and join the advocacy organizations. Carnegie Hill Neighbors is also very involved in spearheading this. And uh, we need to do all we can to halt it and to stop it in its tracks before any more towers go up. They might be killing us. Uh, there's so many problems in our city. What other? What, what else keeps you up at three o'clock in the morning? 
You know, the I check in regularly with the 19th Precinct here on the Upper East Side. I have a storefront community office right here on 79th Street and York Avenue. There's a lot of mental illness, a lot of disabled people. I chair the People with Disabilities Committee in the New York State Assembly. We need to be investing more to help our disabled population, our senior citizens. E-bikes are out of control. These e-bikes... They're killing people. Shouldn't they at least, the police officers, take away those bicycles going down the wrong side of the street? Because if people are not looking on coming down the wrong side of the street, they get hit. You know, John, that's why I have legislation to license these bikes. The 19th Precinct right here on the Upper East Side confiscates more illegal, you know, mopeds and electric vehicles that are delivering food. My legislation, and I just held a press conference last week at the Capitol, would make it a Class A misdemeanor, a crime for mopeds and electric vehicles that leave, that flee the scene of an accident. Just like it's a crime when someone in a vehicle, a car, leaves the scene of an accident, now we're making it, with my legislation, a Class A misdemeanor for an e-bike to leave the scene of an accident. We need to hold people responsible. We need to license these e-bikes and create a more safe environment. Rebecca, they're hurting people and they're scaring people. And I gotta tell you one more thing. I live in your district. When I walk out after, after darkness, I'm scared walking around. A lot of people are scared walking around and our employees that used to work to midnight are scared to work to midnight. You know, we're seeing a lot of mental illness coming out of COVID. Actually, if you look at the crime statistics, things are getting better. You know, like I said, I think we've Rebecca, invested in the state budget only, money mental illness. Rebecca, they're only telling you that because police officers are scared to make arrests because they only the criminals only get to go home. Well, we're, we're looking at the laws. We're looking, you know, when you, when you put something in, you have to go back sometimes and you have to tweak it. And so I suggest we bring all the stakeholders to the table and we look. You know, I'm a former prosecutor and assistant district attorney. We need to do discovery reform. We need to take a strong look at what we put in place and how it's working and look at the data and the statistics of what it's showing us. But you shouldn't feel safe going outside your apartment on the Upper East Side. You know, Nobody, and that's Rebecca, strong go out there, talk, talk to your constituents. Nobody feels safe. Don't believe what I'm, you are told. I, I hear you. I hear you. And I, uh, you know, that's why I'm a strong believer in community policing and the police cadet program over at John Jay College. We need to strengthen it, invest more dollars. People feel safer when they see a police officer on the street. It's a known fact. So let's let's pour some more money into our police cadet program at John Jay College, and let's get more community policing. Rebecca Seawright, I, uh, I, I think we have to work hard to make our city livable and make sure nobody else leaves. And uh, thank you for everything you do, especially with this 5G antennas. And uh, let's talk again real soon. 
I look forward to it, John. Thank you. And we're going to make it a safe city. We're going to make New York City what it was. The small businesses are bouncing back. And, uh, you know, New York City is a great city. And uh, we're going to do all we can to keep it safe and um, to license these e-bikes and to stop these horrible 5G towers from being installed. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. With us this Sunday morning is Governor David Patterson. Governor Patterson, so many problems in our city, our state, in the world. Where do you want to start this morning? Well, let's start with the presidential election for 2024. And knowing that in past elections in this country is that African-Americans were denied the right to vote, women were denied the right to vote, and there have been all these ways that we've had to clear the way to to allow people their rights under the Constitution. They also have the right to run for office. And a gentleman is running for office for president. He once served as president. His name is Donald Trump. And on Thursday, in the arguments as to whether or not Colorado, through the 14th Amendment, can eliminate him from the ballot, the justices seem to be very, very skeptical of that argument. I am sure that they are going to vote to restore him to the ballot. Now, the reason I bring this up is because the same people who were fighting for civil rights, the same people who were trying to create more opportunities for more people, are the ones who wanted to restrict a person who's never been convicted of everything. Like they say, he engaged in the activities on January 6th. Yeah, he engaged in them, but nobody convicted him of anything. He's charged with some things, but a charge doesn't mean the person's guilty or should be treated that way. And I just love the way people go back and forth politically based or back and forth about the law and people's rights based on how they feel about people politically. It's it's going on too much. One other example of this, John, is that the United States Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case from Long Island about the redrawing of the Nassau County legislative districts. They were set up by the majority, which is a Republican Party. And apparently these districts basically almost make it so that no 
minority can win a legislative district out there. They are designed in such a way that they will be majority white voters. Now, just last year, we saw the democratically controlled legislature set up the district lines that suited them best, and that was thrown out by the state Supreme Court. So I'm certainly hoping that some Republicans will come to the aid of these people in Nassau County because the Nassau County legislators did exactly the same thing that the state legislature did last week. So my sermon for Sunday is, if you have a point of view, see if you can hold it past next election. Well, you're absolutely right. And I, I, my, my personal belief is the Supreme Court is going to allow the former president of the United States of America to run. I mean, uh, and to me, let, let the consumer, let the citizens decide which way it goes, or who's guilty, who's, do, who's doing the right job for the country, and that's what an election is for. And, um, and actually, uh, John, I think that the former president has confused the issue with all these talks about he has immunity, he'd have to be impeached if he somebody, they wouldn't go straight to court, and all this stuff, because not even really about him. It's about anybody who wants to run for president who hasn't been convicted of a crime. So this is, this is going to be easy. In other words, they're going to probably have a big lunch somewhere and then come in and vote, and it's going to take 10 minutes. You're right on that one. Governor, uh, there's also a big race out there in the Nassau County, uh, Queens, uh, Mozzie versus uh, Swazi. Well, some, of the, some of the polls are saying Swazi's ahead. Some of the polls are saying it's 50-50. I mean, it, it comes down to, I believe, one issue and the big issue out there is the borders. I mean, you think there's another issue? I think the issue is the borders. I think Swazi is being characterized by the Republican Party as a kind of Biden. I mean, they all make him out to be one of the, uh, you know, the squad and that kind of thing. Um, but Swazi has either center center or times almost center right. And that's where that district has gone. But I think that um, this candidate that he's running against, is not the best speaker or debater or that kind of thing, but she has amassed a record of, you know, pretty positive performance in a short period of time. She fought in the Israeli army. I mean, she's got a lot going for her. And people like her. She just, she has a likable personality. Swazi, I think, really would be the, the better Congress member in terms of all of his experience and the things he's done before. But it's very, very close. And it probably, this is going to be an issue of turnout. So far, the turnout in Breakneck and places where she has strength is probably greater than uh, where Swazi does. But it's going to, I can't call it. It's going to be real close. Yeah, it will be real close. And I guess we'll know on Tuesday. And, and uh, the other day it came out that uh, Kevin McCarthy's seat that's up for an election is on March 19th. So March 19th, either we'll have two more seats between Mozzie's district and Swazi's district and Kevin McCarthy's old district. And, well, we'll see where it goes. Congestion. That would give the Republicans a little bit of cover going in. If they win. The, if they the win. general election. If, if they win. Congestion right. pricing has been way up there. Uh, I mean, yeah. what's going to happen with that? It, it seems like the MTA is rolling over everybody. Well, it looks like the MTA is rolling over everybody. And so all I can say is let's just come back 
two years from now and see if this is working. If it's working, I'll be the first one to say that I was wrong. The, the basic concept of having people who use the city and the central business district pay as much as the people who live there. But what they set up now is you could live on 96th Street and you could come down and go past 60th Street and all of a sudden you're paying a, a, a big toll. That doesn't uh, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to entice people to come to the central business district in Manhattan the way they are now. You know, Manhattan is still hurting, and it's just going to make Manhattan hurt even more. Uh, I've said to all the politicians, let New York make a comeback before we do this. Yeah. Well, I'll say one thing. Governor Hoke will stand solidly behind it, and she is not mincing any words, and she's really done, I think, a— a really good job in her second year, you know, 2023, really. I just hope that she's right because that would be uh, a big opportunity for revenues. We'll just have to wait and see. Governor Patterson, I want to thank you for coming on this Sunday morning. And uh, there's so many things we have to talk about. Maybe I'll see you in the studio soon. Yeah, take care, John. Happy Super Bowl. <laughs> thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is the borough president of Staten Island, Vito Fasella. And uh, uh, borough president Fasella, there's so many things going on in our city. Where do we start? You had a lawsuit against the city along with the uh, teachers on congestion pricing. Is there any hope in that? Good morning, John, and thank you so much for having uh, me. Yeah, this is a very serious matter, and frankly, I think people are finally waking up to the implications, the negative implications of congestion pricing, which effectively is forcing or would require people to pay a tax or a toll entering Manhattan uh, in addition to everything else they pay just to get to Manhattan. So a number of months ago, we filed a lawsuit uh, with the UFT and President Mike Mulgrew, who had the courage to step forward, uh, and a number of other bipartisan elected officials and private citizens, and we filed in the Eastern District in federal court. Recently, just a few days ago, the group representing about 400,000 municipal employees uh, agreed to file a a friendly brief of the court. And I, I think that indicates as people are realizing, wait a minute, uh, for someone just to get to work or like a young teacher, young firefighter, not to mention somebody who may, may work in Midtown, they're going to have to pay another three or $4,000 a year out of their pocket after taxes. And I think the train is moving quickly in, in our favor. And I think most importantly, at least from a Staten Island perspective, is the MTA, which was required to do its own study on six pollutants, affirmed that those six pollutants would actually harm the people of Staten Island by increasing air pollution to next year. And they had to project over the next 21 years to the year 2045, it'll get progressively worse. 
traffic will increase on Staten Island, and they wanted to pay for it. So it's a three-strike loser, in our opinion, and they are deliberately and intentionally going about harming uh, the, the folks in my borough and in our community. So we'll, we'll fight. You know, there's one in Jersey that's uh, been filed, and there's another one from Queens. My sense is there'll be an effort to try to put it all under one roof, but we have our very unique claims, and we'll see where it goes. But congestion pricing we think will harm our, our constituents and is not the best interest of New York City. They should wait a few years before they even think about implementing it. Let New York City make a comeback first. Um, Excellent point. Excellent yeah. point. So many other things. They want to increase the subways 20%, I understand, because the, the uh, ridership is down 20%. So they want to increase the subway uh, tolls, uh, or the subway uh, ticket for 20, by 20%. I mean, why can't they take care of the people not paying the subway fares? You know, it's just a chronic situation, and that's one of the issues we have with this whole congestion pricing. You have a situation where on an annual basis, $600, $700 million is unaccounted for because people are able to get on a bus and they don't pay, or they get on a subway and they don't pay. So this doubly harms the people who tr- just try to do the right thing every day, you know, who pay that fare. And now they want to go back and hit them over the head again. Uh, I, I would encourage them, and I'm not alone, would encourage them to take more aggressive tactics and efforts to make people pay their fair share, if you will, before you start raising uh, fares and imposing congestion pricing. So it's a lose-lose situation. Yes. I mean, New York City, New York State, there's a lot of people moving out. You know, that's only going to make it worse. I mean, I just don't understand what the thinking is. We're giving people one more reason to move away. Uh, We've seen over the last couple of years, especially with working remotely and and the response by some government officials to to COVID and and the clampdowns and the lockdowns and, in some cases, the silly policies that were put in place. But now people have said, hey, we we don't have to take this anymore. So what we've seen is almost a half a million people or so over the last couple of years move out of New York City with their wealth, you know, with their families. And it's not good. So something like this is just one more nail in the coffin. And to your point, John, give it a few years. Let let the uh, remnants of COVID work itself out. Let the city get back on its footing. Let the commercial market get back on its footing. And then maybe you can have this discussion. But right now, you just it's a money grab. They make no secret about it. And if that's the case, let them go and, and petition Albany or the city or the federal government to say, this is why we need the money. And if it's legitimate, then they'll get it. But don't just create a fund. And the one scary part, if you ask me, is once they get their foot in the door, if they get their foot in the door with a $15 toll, what's going to happen is that toll is only going to increase, as it did in London, where it's gone up three times since it was implemented, which means that it could be a $45 toll in the not-too-distant future just to get to Manhattan. The crime situation, is it getting any better? We see some positive trends in the in the second half of 2023 and in the first couple of months here. But listen, it's still a very, very serious matter. We have things like car thefts. We have 
as you know better than anyone, uh, shoplifting is just another tax on merchants and all law-abiding citizens. And my view is rather than lock up the toothpaste, lock up the shoplifter. You can't let these people have free reign and come and come and go as they please. Once again, while hardworking people are paying the dues and paying the bills. So we are seeing some progress. The subways have become, in some cases, like mobile homeless shelters. And the subway system should belong to the people who are make this city work, not the mentally disturbed uh, and not the criminals. If, if somebody is mentally ill, I think we have an obligation to try to help them and get them out of the streets and get them out of the subways, but they shouldn't wreak havoc on innocent people in the subway. So while we have made some progress, I believe, and it's to no fault of the NYPD, they want to do their job and do what they have to do. But as you know, there are still bail, so-called bail reform laws in place that allow people who commit crimes back on the streets almost immediately. And that includes migrants who a couple of weeks ago, as we watched Insanity in real time, beat up some police officers in Times Square. And what happened? They walked out, giving everybody figuratively and literally the finger. So things have to move in a more positive direction for, I think, most people to feel safe. Vito Fasella, there's so many things that we're all aggravated about. Is there anything, anything positive we could see? I think the positive thing is the fact that there are still 95, 97 percent of the people who live in New York City and live in this area are extremely good people. They work hard. They want nothing but the best for their family. And it's a few percentage points of people who ruin it for everybody else. And I think we have to move the needle to isolate those few percent to get them whether they be behind bars or in, in help or if they need uh, inpatient mental health needs. So people can just go about their lives to raise their families, work hard and enjoy it. So that's the positive thing. There's still a lot of good people doing a lot of good things. And we just have to make their lives a little better by getting some common sense into our laws and not let a handful of people disrupt it for everybody else. Vito Fasella, thank you for the update. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. God bless you, John and Margot. Have a great day. Appreciate it. With us today is Senator Alphonse D'Amato. Well, Senator D'Amato, there's an election on Tuesday. Which way is that election going to go? Well, we're talking about filling the seat of that stupid ass who they threw out the first congressman, I guess, in 100-plus years that they threw out, Santos. And uh, thank God we're replacing him. And I think we're going to replace him with Mozzie Phillips. All of these polls that have her losing, they're wrong. They are absolutely wrong. My prediction, he will win between three to five points, okay? And she will win. I think it's, it comes down to uh, who are they going to vote for, a person that wants to keep Nassau County safe or the person uh, that, that wants to bring more migrants into Nassau County? Yeah, a person who has county executive threw ice out of the county, okay? Let's yep. remember that. A person who was so desperate to win, he went out his ads and said she's going to cut Social Security. When that was a did direct she lie. Ever, ever say anything like that? You, know, you make up things? That, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And let me tell you, He's a very gifted orator. He's a very handsome guy. But his campaign, when you say that somebody who has never, never indicated anything like cutting Social Security wants to cut 
Social Security. That that's terrible. You you, you don't do that. She's going to win, and, and I'll tell you why, John. When she ran for council just this past November, as a legislator you know, for the Nassau County Legislature, she carried great neck. Okay, with sixty percent of the vote, heavy Democratic district. Let me tell you. Since that time, you've had this war with Hamas against Israel. She's not going to get 60 percent of the vote in Great Neck. She'll get 70 plus percent. And most of those are Democrats, and they're going to vote for her because they are sick and tired of this anti-Semitic attitude that has cropped up. And she is going to benefit. And she's a good person. And by the way, they're making up stories. It's, they say, he's against abortion. She's against a woman's right. No, she's not. She has seven children, but she has said, that's up to the woman. I am not against the woman's right to choose. So they make up these stories to try to beat her. That's wrong. That's terrible. And by the way, I think the biggest thing that has taken place is this special counsel's release of this report not to indict Biden because, quote, this is him. He says he's an elderly with an elderly man with a poor memory. What are we kidding? You're older than you're older than him. And you you have all your faculties and you are as sharp as you were 40 years ago. Yeah. But just because he's elderly and he has a poor memory, I'm not going to indict him. I mean, this is this is incredible, and that, that's the special counsel's document. This is what he says, and I have to tell you, if you read it, he talks about the fact that he couldn't remember when his son died. He couldn't remember other essential things, and this is a guy who is running for president of the United States. I'm telling you. That document alone thinks him. And remember this. I said to you privately, John, that I think at the end, when Biden has all of the votes, he can pick whoever he wants, he's going to step aside. And you know who he's going to designate? Who? Take a guess. Well, it's either Newsom or Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama. You got it. And who do you think? is directing his foreign policy programs. Barack Obama. Obama. Barack Obama. He's very have been kissing Iran's ass. And who provides all the munitions and all the monies, etc.? And who got the Houthis and everybody else to attack Israel? Huh? Iran. Iran. And why? Why? Because well, oh. they were afraid that Israel and Saudi Arabia were coming together, and they used that. So here he is, all right, Obama, still calling the shots behind the scenes. So don't be surprised if old Joe, who used to be a good friend of mine, but he didn't even recognize me when I showed up when he made his announcement in New York. He has forgotten everything, and he's being run. And one of the big guys running him is Barack Obama. Don't be a bit surprised that yep. Michelle steps in because Joe is fading pretty quick. 
Thank you for calling calling in this Sunday morning, and we're going to catch up with you again real soon. Most likely, we're going to catch up Tuesday night to see who the winner is. It's a pleasure. And remember, Alphonse says, don't believe the polls. Maggie Phillips is going to win. Take care, babes. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Bruce Blakeman, the Nassau County Executive. Well, Bruce Blakeman, you've done a great job as County Executive, and uh, you're looking for uh, to do even better. Give us an update. What's going on? There's a big election on Tuesday with Nazi versus uh, Swazi, and I understand it comes down to one big moment on who's going to keep Nassau County safe. Is it Mazi or Swazi? Well, it's definitely Mazi. Mazi uh, stood shoulder to shoulder with me when we hired an additional 200 police officers in the last two years. When Tom Swazi was county executive, he wanted to defund the police. He increased taxes. He made Nassau County a sanctuary county. So Nassau County under Tom Swazi was a sanctuary county. Under my leadership and with the support of Mazi Pillup, we are no longer a sanctuary county. Migrants are not welcome here in Nassau County because we don't know who they are. They haven't been properly vetted. They are using up all of municipal resources around the region, and we don't want that to happen in Nassau County. So uh, Mozzie Pillip is the best person to keep our community safe, and she has been endorsed by every major law enforcement group in the region the Nassau County Police Benevolent Association, the Police Superior Officers Association, the Police Detectives Association, the Corrections Officers, you name it, she has been endorsed by them because they know she is the best person to keep the migrants out and keep our county safe. So that's the, the big election is Tuesday. Everybody has to go out and vote if you want to keep your county safe. Absolutely. You, now, you've done other great things in uh, Nassau County. Give us an update. So with Mozzie Phillips' help, as I said, we hired 200 additional police officers. Mozzie and I did not raise taxes the last two years, unlike Tom Swazi, who raised taxes when he was county executive by more than 20%. And that's a lot of money to impose on the hardworking families in Nassau County. We're keeping taxes low because we understand people are having a hard time making ends meet with this Biden inflation. So Mozzie Pillup is a great partner of mine. I'm going to be very uh, sorry to lose her, but it's more important to America that we elect Mozzie Pillup because there's only a one-vote majority for the Republicans in the House of Representatives now, and that's too close. Uh, We need to make sure that Mike Johnson stays speaker and not Hakeem Jeffries, who uh, is pandering to the most extreme left-wing progressive woke members of Congress, the squad members, and Mozzie Pillip will go there and she'll fight. And, uh, and that's exactly what we need. So I support Mozzie 100%. Anything going on with the c- casino? Well, we're moving forward with the casino, and we're hopeful that we'll get the license. Look, John, if the application process is on the level, if there's a level playing field, If it's on the merits, Nassau County wins. We've got the best site. We've got the community support. And we would generate the most revenue of any casino in the United States. So uh, I'm confident that we will win it if it's on the merits. And we'll see what happens in the licensing approval process. 
Bruce Blakeman, thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning. And if I was in Nassau County, if I lived in Nassau County, I'd vote for Mozzie too. Great. Well, we'll get your estate broker. Come out here to Nassau County, the safest large county in America. Thank you so much. With us today is uh, Dr. Sky, otherwise known as Steve Cates, a good friend. He has great visions of what the heck is going on on the planet Mars, the moon, and on Sunday mornings, it's really interesting. Steve Cates, give us an update. What's going on uh, up in the skies this weekend? Well, good morning, John, and good to be back on the Cats Roundtable each week here. Following up from last week, we were talking about these 18-year cycles that the Earth has in Earth changes. And just to report to you and the listeners that there's many more cycles to talk about. But here we go. 18,000 years ago, John, a third of the Earth was covered by glaciers. Now we only find that's maybe, what, less than 1% or one-tenth of a percent, to be more precise. What happened? The glaciers retreated, lakes had formed, and the global temperatures actually increased some 7 to 9 degrees Fahrenheit. But, John, this is fascinating. We haven't had a true ice age for about 11,700 years and nothing coming down the pike very quickly. But something also occurred between the years 1645 and 1715. It was called the Mounder Minimum. What is this? And it affected changes on the Earth in the Northern Hemisphere weather-wise. Because of the lack of sunspots, here we go, all weather comes from the sun, we find out that temperatures in the Northern Hemisphere were almost 3.6 degrees lower. And that was a serious thing that happened to agriculture and growth cycles in the Northern Hemisphere. But the beat goes on, John. Isn't this fascinating? We're not finding out one cycle. We're finding out there's many, many cycles. But you all go back to the sun because, once again, the sun drives all of our weather. It's amazing. We talked about the 18,000-year cycle. We talked about so many things. What's going to drive people's minds this morning? Give me one. Well, John, I want to talk a little bit about something that's really important, talking about the sunspot story. Right now on the sun, there's this massive sunspot called Active Region 3576. And as we're speaking right now, that sunspot is ready to blow out flares. We can't predict when and how if it hasn't done so already as we're talking right now. But this is so incredible. Going back to these stories about how the Earth is so much obviously dependent on what happens on the sun. But here's another interesting story. A Serbian scientist and astronomer climatologist, Milankovic, he talked about a 25,000-year cycle excuse me, that also had so much to do with long-term climate changes. And it was all due to this in his calculation, the shape of the Earth's orbit, the tip of the Earth's axis. And he also talked about the Earth's rotation as it points toward the, you know, the north and the sky. So now we find out that there's so many of these deep cycles we're trying to understand. So I say this with confidence, and I'm sure you would agree. Before we all jump on the bandwagon of this rampant climate change across the Earth, we need to look deeper and deeper into these cycles. Maybe we can't do much about them, but simply more science, in my opinion, needs to be explored before we close the book and close the chapter on the whole story of climate change and different climate events. What say you? You are certainly right. Uh, I was talking about uh, to our radio people and uh, some of the storms that the, the sun had last week knocked out some AM stations and FM stations. Absolutely. It's, and the beat goes on with this. And it's so amazing, John, not to alarm people, but Solar Cycle 25 is the real culprit. Some say it'll peak sometime around April or May. We'll keep our eyes to it. But here's a closer story in space that we conclude here. 
A Russian cosmonaut now breaks the endurance record for the all-time human endurance in space. Well, Oleg Kononenko, a Russian cosmonaut on the 4th of February, broke a record that was set a long time ago. He's up there now more than 878 days. But what's so amazing about that, by June 5th and maybe September, he'll be up in space over 1,100 days. The U.S. space endurance record now is only 371 days by an astronaut named Frank Rubio. And he went around the Earth 5,936 times. John, can you imagine the stress on the human body on that? I don't know if it's for me. I don't know if it's for you. But that, to me, has to be just an amazing amount of discipline. And I wanted your comment on it because that's otherworldly, no pun intended. Well, I'm not sure it's that healthy to be out there that long. And I'm not sure we got it down to a science yet. And uh, I'm concerned about that. And the other thing I understand last week an asteroid the size of the Empire State Building came close. What, what have you heard yes. about that one? Well, John, here we go. Sometimes in the, in the regular legacy media, they get it wrong. And I know we here talk about facts, and I appreciate the opportunity always. But this particular asteroid, every single week, there's an asteroid that passes the Earth. And the news headline is always, asteroid comes close to the Earth, a near miss. Well, the truth of the matter is, lucky for us, those near misses are over millions of miles away. But there was another object that came very close to the Earth just a few weeks ago. It was a small asteroid about the size of a meter in diameter. That's pretty small. But what's amazing about it, John, is that the astronomers actually found that object, that tiny, on a camera, and they calculated that its orbit only three or so hours before it was going to hit the Earth, and they predicted exactly where it was going to come in on the Earth. And it came in over Germany near Berlin, and people actually looked in the sky when the predicted time was, they saw it, and they actually found particles of that little small asteroid, little meteorite. And we find out that it's some of the rarest of meteors of any kind, what it's made up of. So, John, we get hit always by these stories about asteroids coming close to the Earth. But you know yours truly is going to keep everybody posted, hopefully, what, well ahead of the time of any kind of impending impact, to say the least. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to keep us up to date on? Well, John, I just wanted to remind people, if you go out and take a look in the sky, this is a great time because we're only, as we talk today, some 57 days away from the great total solar eclipse. And I understand that the New York governor, Governor Hochul, is actually so involved in getting people involved in all these different festivals that are going to happen in the state of New York. And we're going to continue to update our friends here on the Cats Roundtable. And they can stay in touch with me at the Dr. Sky Experience at simply wabcradio.com. Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, thank you for enlightening us, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.